So here we are, yeah, Palm Sunday. And this begins um, Holy Week, that journey that takes us to the cross and takes us to the, the empty tomb. We're all familiar with the phrase, uh, the red carpet treatment, right? We've all heard of that. And actually, it's interesting that the history of the red carpet goes back about at least uh, two and a half thousand years, believe it or not. And it was, and it is still used by royalty, by world leaders to signify status, uh, opulence. And the color red of the carpet has long been associated with prestige, royalty, and aristocracy. And it's thought, actually, that we, we get the phrase, the red carpet treatment, from the early 1900s, when a, an exclusive express passenger train run by New York Central Railroad welcomed their passengers aboard with a red carpet. And so they would say they're getting the red carpet treatment. <clears throat> of course, the ironic thing is that today... What do we usually associate the red carpet with? Hollywood, right? Actors, movie stars, and pop and rock stars. Because you know what? They've become the royalty of our day, haven't they? Those, uh, these are the people that our culture tends to worship and glorify. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that we give so much weight and put so much value in an industry and in people who pretend to be somebody else for a living. That's what they do. That's their job. What do you do for it? Well, I pretend to be somebody I'm not. And it's rather ironic, actually, that the word for actor comes from the Greek word meaning hypocrite. But that's a sermon for another day. But in this account that we just read today, that we finally got right, we read about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we see a different kind of red carpet being rolled out, don't we? Jesus gets his own red carpet treatment. But it's actually, it's not red at all, is it? It was probably actually a, a multicolored carpet with people's cloaks and palm leaves and branches. And so as we, as we unpack this uh, passage, I, I, I want to explore some questions today. Number one, why was Jesus given the red carpet treatment? Secondly, why did seemingly the same people who were praising him and declaring him the son of David, why only days later were they calling for his death and shouting, crucify him, crucify him? Another question, what does it mean to be a true leader, a true king? And lastly, of course, what does all this have to do with us? So as we begin the passage, Jesus instructs uh, two disciples to go to a nearby village and to find a donkey there. He tells them, you're going to find a donkey, and I want you to bring it back. So straight away, this, this actually begs the question, why all of a sudden does Jesus need a donkey for the last couple of miles to Jerusalem? Because we've got to remember something. Jesus, Jesus was a walker. He walked everywhere. If you look at the gospel accounts, Jesus is always walking with his disciples. And if we step back from that passage, before this, Jesus had been up in Galilee. And he had traveled from Galilee on foot. We're talking 60 to 70 miles from Galilee to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, he needs a donkey for the last couple of miles. 
seems a bit strange, doesn't it? You know, I mean, what was, was Jesus like? You know what, guys, I'm tired. I, you know, somebody fetched me a donkey for the last couple of miles. It's actually the first time that we hear of Jesus not walking by foot. In fact, that's what most people did in first century Palestine. Most people walked everywhere except for the wealthy. And donkeys were the, the common form, the most common form of animals for transport and farm work in Jesus' time. So why did Jesus need a donkey? Well, it was a deliberate move on Jesus' part. This wasn't some accident. This wasn't some improvised thing. This was a deliberate plan of Jesus. It shows that it wasn't some last-minute decision, but something he had planned. And most likely what had happened was Jesus had some contacts or friends or allies he knew he could reach out to who would be able to provide what he needed. And in fact, Jesus even, even gives, uh, gives these disciples a password, doesn't he? He tells them, say, the Lord needs them. The Lord needs them. It's kind of like the password. You know, the people, oh, okay, give them the donkey. I'm thinking maybe of changing my passwords to that. The Lord needs them. Number one, exclamation mark. Maybe you could try it in stop and shop sometime or market baskets. See, walk, walk, walk out with your groceries without paying. Somebody says, what are you doing? The Lord needs them. Oh, <laughs> on your way, sir. But he gives them this password, so to speak. And all joking aside, there's actually something very significant here. Because um, Jesus is referring to himself as the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I, you know, when was the last time you referred to yourself as the Lord? Not recently, right? Yeah, me neither. Jesus is referring to himself as the Lord because he is the Lord. He's God, God incarnate. And earlier in Jesus' ministry, he actually um, goes to pains to not fully reveal who he is, doesn't he? If you notice, he's always telling, do not tell people about this. Um, but now the gloves have come off because Jesus is revealing his true identity because he knows his time is close now. He's very close to his death. If we had any doubts that this was, was an intention of Jesus, well, Matthew tells us plainly, he says that... Um, Jesus was fulfilling prophecy found in Zechariah, Zechariah 9, 9, that says, Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus, right here, he's fulfilling a prophecy that was made about him almost 500 years before he walked the earth. That's pretty impressive. Going back to Hollywood for a moment. Have you noticed at events like the Oscars, often the various actors are, are trying to outdo each other in how they dress? Have you noticed that? Some of them, they, they're, they're sort of really seeking the attention and, and some of them, you know, low-key, others as crazy as you can imagine. Anybody remember the, the 2011 Grammys where Lady Gaga came out, carried as an egg? She was on a stretcher and there was people carrying her and then she hatched from the egg. What was, what was going on? Well, she was trying to make a statement, wasn't she? You know, often these actors and actresses and pop stars, they're trying to make a statement. I don't know what her statement was. 
But in this instance, Jesus riding in on a donkey, he's trying to make a statement. It's very intentional. It's not accidental. He's declaring something about himself. And I want you to hold that thought because we're going to come back to that. We're told that Jesus rode in on a donkey to a very large crowd. Other translations say a huge crowd. This was a lot of people, folks. And that they had spread their cloaks on the paths and cut branches from trees for Jesus to ride on. They were essentially giving Jesus the red carpet treatment. This was an improvised, spontaneous, first century red carpet, so to speak. And as Jesus is riding, they're they're declaring, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And as Devereaux explained, Hosanna means save us or save us God. So they're making a very important statement about who Jesus is. They were declaring him the savior. And by calling him the son of David, they were acknowledging that he was the promised Messiah, the everlasting king sent by God. You see, the fact is that back in those days, pretty much any Jew would have recognized this title, son of David, as coming from a a promise that actually uh, the Lord made to King David. And we have to go back to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7 to see what God spoke through the prophet Nathan. This is uh, chapter 7 verses 12 and 13. And the Lord says, speaking to David, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Now listen to this next part. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's talking about Jesus. And when you look at the continuity of the Bible, there's there's 66 books in here. And from Genesis right through to Revelation, there's a staggering amount of continuity that can only be explained through a supernatural uh, divine power. There's too much continuity, how everything is interconnected, despite many authors over thousands of years. It all works seamlessly together as one big story. It always blows my mind. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, we're told that the whole city was stirred asking, who is this? They're wondering, who is this? Why why so much commotion? And it's interesting that, that when Jesus was born, we're told that King Herod and all of Jerusalem was troubled And now we're told all of Jerusalem is stirred. That word uh, means shaken. It's the Greek word actually that we get the word seismic from. Jesus was, (laughs) he was making a seismic impact as he walked, as he rode rather into Jerusalem. Jesus had rocked the city with his triumphal entry. In one sense you could say he was literally rocking the red carpet. But it's here, we've got to pause for a second. And this is one of the questions I asked at the beginning. How could the people go from Hosanna, son of David, Hosanna in the highest, to all of a sudden to crucify him within the space of of a week? 
As I asked that question, it bothered me. Because I started thinking, wow, are we, that, are we that fickle? And I thought, well, yeah, we are. <laughs> People are fickle, aren't we? We can change our mind and change views or get offended so quickly. But I still felt like, what's going on here? So it bothered me. And as I studied this passage this week more and more, and I read the corresponding accounts that we can find in the other Gospels, I realized something. The crowd that comes with Jesus, that comes into Jerusalem, had come with him from Galilee. Before this, remember, Jesus had been ministering in Galilee. And this crowd had come with him because they believed in who he was. They'd experienced and witnessed and seen the miracles that Jesus had done. These these peasants, these Galilean peasants, these non-city folk, if you like, who saw Jesus for what he truly was. In a sense, Jesus, he has his homeboys with him. They're coming with him. And when the Jerusalemites ask, who is this? There's actually almost a little bit of hometown pride in their answer. Have you noticed what they say? They say, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. They don't just say, this is Jesus, the prophet. They say, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, Galilee. He's one of us. He's one of us. This often reminds me of um, when I hear sports fans talk. You know, you know, maybe it's a Red Sox fan or a Pats fan or whatever. And the fans talk about, we won the Super Bowl. We won the World Series. And I was thinking, did you? Were you there? Were you, you know? Throwing the, throwing the ball and whatever. And of course, you know, we, we say that we because we, th- you know, we call the team we support our team. It's that sort of tribe mentality, isn't it? We're part of the club. We're part of this team. It's us. And I think there's a little bit of this going on here. Like this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth, Galilee, from our hometown. And I think there's, a, there's an interesting parallel here, I think, with our society today. And it's... It's, it, it's, the parallel is this, that it's, it's interesting that how often the, the elite or the very well-educated or the wealthy often don't seem to understand or believe who Jesus is. You know, in a sense, they're, they're too enlightened, right? And often it's, it's the underdogs, the ones who struggle, who have a simple childlike faith that really get what it's about. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, the worst sort of clever men are those who know better than the Bible. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. We're very proud of our own cleverness and our intellect and intelligence. But actually, compared to the wisdom of God, it's it's actually, we're told it's foolishness. And there's been a gradual erosion, hasn't there, of trust and faithfulness in the inspiration of Scripture. There's a growing skepticism that it's not really God-breathed. Unfortunately, we find that in a lot of churches that no longer believe this is the inspired word of God. But we have to remain steadfast, folks. We have to remain steadfast in understanding what this, these scriptures mean and let those guide our lives. So as Jesus entered Jerusalem, 
he knew that he was walking into a death trap. He knew that by going back to Jerusalem, he would start the countdown to his death. And that metaphorical red carpet that we've been talking about would turn into a river of blood flowing from the cross. He knew his death was imminent, that the religious elites, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the wealthy power brokers who didn't get who Jesus was, would soon be calling for his death. And yet Jesus, he chooses to ride in on a donkey. Remember I was asking the kids earlier, why do you think he rode in on a donkey? I mean, he he's all the power and at his disposal that he could ever want. He could have ridden in on an amazing stallion or a chariot. And when you and I, when we think of a strong leader, what do you think of? I think a lot of the time we, we we think of strength, don't we? We think of power. Perhaps we even think of aggressiveness, you know. It's good to have an aggressive, strong leader. We think of type A alpha personalities, don't we? We think of somebody who's beautiful or handsome, who's glitzy. I mean, think of the fascination we have with the Oscars and with celebrity. We are fascinated by it, aren't we? Even if a part of us is sort of revolts by it, we're also kind of like, "Eh, I can't stop watching this though, it's fascinating. You know, it's interesting, I... um, I was in England last week visiting my family. And I uh, <clears throat> I stayed for a couple of days with my brother and I had to get to him by train. And my brother has done really well for himself, very well for himself. We we don't come from a, um, a particularly well-off family. But he did very well for himself, started his own business. And uh, he picked me up at the train station in his uh, brand new Porsche that he just bought it's the first time I've ever ridden in a Porsche and probably the last time I'll ever ride in a Porsche. But it was interesting because I, I thought, what would have been my reaction if he'd shown up and picked me up with a donkey? <laughs> if you've been at the railway station with a donkey, I said, all right, mate, hop on. There should be enough room for your bags, I think. I think a part of me would have been like, are you serious? And I mean, obviously we're in 2019 and Jesus was in first century, but, but nonetheless, the thought of riding in on a donkey would have been a little insane. And even back in Jesus' day, for a king to do this was again making a statement. And what Jesus was saying was that he was declaring that he was a man of peace, of humility even though he was less than a week away from doing the the most courageous thing the world has ever seen. Remember earlier I said that Jesus was making a statement and that I wanted you to hold there and I would come back. Well, Jesus is making a statement and he's telling the whole world that yes, I am the Messiah, the Savior you've been waiting for, but I won't be conformed by what you think a king is like. I'm not playing by the rules because I'm the rule maker. My ways are not your ways. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will confound. So here's where this applies to us, folks. We have to get off our high horses and get on the donkey with Jesus. 
we have to humble ourselves. There's a surrender that we need to go through to honestly ask, is it possible that Jesus really is who he claimed to be? Maybe you're like the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Maybe you're asking, who is this? When you hear the name of Jesus, are you shaken? Are you troubled? Maybe you're indifferent. Does the name of Jesus stir a reaction in you? Does it stir something in you? Perhaps it's one of joy and love and peace. Perhaps it's one of revulsion. Perhaps it's one of anger. Does the name of Jesus, as they would say today, trigger you? Any of those reactions I've just named means it's worth investigating Jesus more. Because if Jesus is who he claimed to be, think about this. Jesus really is God incarnate, died and rose from the dead. Then there's nothing more important in this life. Nothing. And that, I believe, is worth exploring. I've spent more of my life than most studying the scriptures, looking at who Jesus is, and I'm convinced without question he is the Son of God, the living, eternal God. And I want you to know that truth if you don't know it this morning. So finally, here's the amazing thing about this account that we read today of Jesus entering Jerusalem. For a brief window of time, Jesus actually gets the treatment, the adulation, the praise and the worship that was truly due him by the people of his time. You notice that for a small window of time, people are actually declaring the truth of who he is. Well, the same goes for today, folks. We need to see who Jesus truly is. And the good news is, if you ask him to reveal himself to you, he will come. He will come. Revelation 3.19 says, Here I am, I stand at the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The invitation is an open invitation, folks. I'd say it's time to pull out the red carpet. It's time to get it cleaned, brush it off. Because the King, Jesus, is coming back. He's knocking at your door and we need to be ready. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you made that journey into Jerusalem, Lord. That journey that started the most momentous week in the history of creation. And I pray, Lord, that as we enter this holy week, that you would help us to meditate and focus, Lord, on everything you did for us. The sacrifice you made, Lord. Would we understand just the love you have for us? How dear we are to you, how precious we are to you, Lord, that you would do this for us, that we are your children as we celebrate our children in the church, Lord, remind us that we are your children, dearly loved by you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for conquering death. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.